of the kingdom will be able to help somebody get from first base to second base. We want them on home plate. Okay. But more than likely, our efforts will serve to get somebody maybe from second base to third base, or perhaps you meet somebody who's already on third base, and it's your opportunity to help them get on home and come into Christ. But whatever it is, we must remember the concept of teamwork. Teamwork. Rarely does someone go at it with the gospel and able to hit a home run on their own. It takes efforts from this one and that one. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and, and God gave the increase. He adds to that in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 and 2. He says, we're all, we're all workers together with God. That's the way it is. We are all workers together with God. Uh, in his vineyard. We must remember teamwork. We must believe in our teammates here in the church. We must remember and must believe in our, in our teammates. It may be that, that you help someone get over a hurdle that has had them stuck spiritually for some time. Perhaps you share something with them about the creation, about the book of Genesis. Perhaps you share something with them about marriage at home and the family, and perhaps that has been, there's been something about that teaching that has held them, in, them back for years. Perhaps you share something about the resurrection. Perhaps you share something about heaven itself. We don't know what it might be. The thing is, our, our, our responsibility is to sow the seed abundantly and keep sowing the seed and sharing our faith. So first concept, uh, teamwork, uh, teamwork. The second concept is to be real. I call it just the be real concept. Be real. Be real. Don't go up to someone and say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't do that. Don't do that. That does not fit scripture. It does not fit scripture. I know it's popular out in the religious world. Please don't do that. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Can you imagine someone yelling out to Stephen as, as the stones keep hurling at him and, and say, Stephen, don't worry. The Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, it's in, indeed true that Stephen, as he dies, he goes to be with the Lord and, and you can't, can't beat heaven. But that's not what people mean by that phrase. They mean the Lord has a wonderful plan for your life on earth. Okay, that doesn't fit. Someone says, well, didn't Jesus promise the abundant life? Well, we look at that in John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay. Well, the, the word abundant just simply means full. Full. The word abundant means full. And what Jesus is promising there, he's promising first life. That is spiritual life. That is forgiveness. You know, sin causes us to be dead separated from God spiritually, Jesus is promising us life. Through him we can have forgiveness. And he says, not only life, but you can have it more abundantly. That means we can be involved in the very purpose of God to seek and save the lost. And so we can receive forgiveness and then we can go to work for him in his kingdom. That is the abundant life. The word abundant just means full. Let me ask you this. Did, did Paul have a full life? Be turning with me to 2 Timothy 3. Did, did Paul have a full life? A full life. Well, he did. You know he did. If anybody did, on this side of the cross, you know that, that, that Paul did. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 kind of expands on that for us. Verse 10 and 
and 11. He's speaking to Timothy here. He says, uh, Timothy, you, however, 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And, verse 11, you have also, Timothy, followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be uh, persecuted. Did Paul live a full life? He did. Was that a wonderful life? No. No. It was a joyful life, but it wasn't trouble-free. It wasn't trouble-free at all. Not what the Lord promises us. Okay. Well, how am I to speak to somebody then? Well, we are to speak to others as one dying person to another dying person. Hebrews 9.27 plainly says, It's appointed in a man once to die, and after this the judgment. One dying person to another, one dying man to another dying man. If you knew somebody was going to die, and they could still talk to you and reason with you, but you knew for sure in four or five days they're going to be out of here, what would you say to them? What would you say to them? And if you know that they're outside of Christ, they're outside of a relationship with Jesus and His blood, what would you say to them? Surely you would plead with them. Surely you would talk to them about sin. Surely you would talk to them about, about punishment. Surely we, we would talk to them about Jesus and His love and His, and his blood and, and the gospel. Right, you would. And that's the very same message we need to carry to everybody. There's not two gospels. and There's not one gospel for somebody who's about to die and one gospel for somebody who seems to be okay. It's the same gospel. So we just need, the second concept is to be real. Be real. Now who did God send to David after David committed adultery and murder? Who did he send? Nathan the prophet, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. Nathan the prophet. Nathan, he comes to David, tells him a little story. He said, in this certain city there were, there were two men. One was very rich and he had all kinds of of flocks and herds, and there was another man in the same city. He was very poor, and all he had was one little lamb. And he bought that lamb, and he raised that lamb. That lamb lived in his house. He grew up with his children. That, daughter, that, that, that lamb was like a daughter uh, to him. Come to pass, in this story, it come to pass, that a certain stranger came in uh, to stay with the, with the rich man, and the rich man, to make provisions for the stranger, went and got... Instead of using out of his own multiple flocks and herds, he went and got the one ewe lamb out of the poor man's house. Got it, slaughtered it, prepared it for the stranger who was coming. David was outraged. He said, who is this man? Well, he deserves to die. He is certainly going to restore fourfold. And what did Nathan say to David? You sure... You sure that Nathan didn't say, look, David, God's got a wonderful plan for your life? Is that what he said? No. He was real. 
He was real with him. I'm going to read further here in 2 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 7. Right after Nathan said, you are the man, verse 7, 2 Samuel 12. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors and he, sh and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The second concept, sharing the faith, is to simply be real. Be real. The third concept is what we can just call the disease concept. The disease concept. Nobody in the right mind Nobody in their right mind is going to go to the doctor unless they've got some trouble. And nobody's going to uh, receive the cure that the doctor has in store for them, except first the doctor convinces them that they have, they have a problem, they have a, a disease. Once convicted of the disease, then they will seek to have the cure. And so it is with sin. So it is with sin. Until we are first convinced that we have sinned, then nobody's going to search for the cure. Nobody's going to truly come to our Lord. But that's the hard part. The hard part is the convincing. I'm turning over now to Proverbs 20. Notice how hard it is to convince. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. It's very difficult. It's easy to say, sometimes difficult, because here's what happens. Many a man, many a man proclaims his own goodness. Or some translations have it like this. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? It's rare. It's rare. Most people walk around proclaiming their own goodness. I'm okay. If you go up to somebody on the street and you ask them, well, if you died today, you think you'd go to heaven, they're going to say, they're going to say, probably, yeah, yeah, I think I'll go. Do you think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You know? Everybody proclaims their own goodness. Okay. So if that's happening, what do we do? Well, we do what the great physician. You know, Jesus is the great physician. We read in, in Luke 5, 31 and, and 32, what Jesus said about being the great, great physician, the great doctor of the soul. He said, those who are whole, those who are well, do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we're going to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus use? What did the great physician use 
to convince people that they need a doctor. Let's think about the example of, of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17 for a second. Notice what Jesus does here, Mark 10 and verse 17. In order for us to, to help convince somebody that they need the doctor of the soul, let's see what Jesus does. He uses the word of God is what he does. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus wanted him to know who he was dealing with. Jesus was not saying he wasn't God. He was saying he, he indeed is God. And then Jesus said, verse 19, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery. See what Jesus is doing? He's using the word using the word, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth up. Jesus said, looking at him and loving him, Jesus said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by this, disheartened by this saying, the ruler went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. But see what Jesus used to try to get to the heart of this man, to get to his conscience? He used the word of God. That's what the Lord wants us to do. It's our only hope. Not just, that's not just a, a wish of the Lord. This is the only way of doing this. The only way of doing this. I think about Peter's example in Acts chapter 2. And he's preaching about Jesus. He first wants to show the audience that Jesus is a man approved of God. So what does he do? He quotes in a very generous way. He quotes from Psalm number 16 to show that indeed Jesus was raised from the dead and it was prophesied that he would be raised from the dead. And then he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, and this turns out to be about Acts 2.34. He quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1 to show that Jesus not only was raised from the dead, but also he ascended up on high and now he's at the right hand of God ruling. And then after Peter established this from the word of God, he said, let all the house of Israel know surely that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Peter's just drawing a conclusion from the scripture that he's just quoted to them. And when they heard this, now this is good. And you see, see the, the rich young ruler, he walked away, but it's the same instrument, the same instrument being used by the great physician. Okay. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It didn't work with the rich young ruler. But here it's going to work. The people, the people were pricked in the heart when they heard this. And they said, what shall we do? Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 40 says, and with many other words. There you go, Peter. Peter's not stopping. Peter keeps on using the instrument. And with many other words, he did testify and exhort to them, save yourselves from this untoward uh, generation. And what do you read in Acts 2.41? Well, those who gladly received this word. See, it worked. It worked. Glad they were baptized and added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. That's how it works. That's how it works. So concept number one, teamwork. Concept number two is be real. Concept number three here is the disease. What did the great physician use to get a person to see that they need the cure and that he has the cure for them? Well, 
the Word of God. We can go on and on with that, but that, that shows that. Now, concept number four is the, the afterlife concept. The afterlife concept. What do you say, what, what do you ask a stranger to try to create a religious discussion? Okay. Here's one of the great questions to ask. Do you believe in the afterlife? That's it. That's it. Do you believe in the afterlife? It's going to interest, interest them because they're human. They're human. Okay? They're human. They read the news. They hear the news. People die. They've got friends. They've got relatives that, that, that are dying. They, they think about it. Most of the time when you ask someone this, they're going to say, I think about that all the time. I'm a little bit confused about that. Or they'll say, well, I think I'm okay. Or I hope I'm okay. But anything that they say, you can bounce off of that and begin a religious discussion. By the way, this brings us down to the same level. It don't matter who you're talking to, you, can, you don't have to ever be intimidated because we're on the same level. If you're, you know, sometimes we say, well, he's an Einstein or something. You know, he's, he's up there. He's up there. His intellect's up there. So what? So what? It don't matter. He's on the same level. He's a sinner. He's going to die. Okay? You still ask him. You ask him, do you believe in the afterlife? Okay. And see, when you ask this question, this is a good question to start off with because look what you're doing. You're not using a lot of, a lot of religious terms. You're not, you're not mentioning God or Christ or the cross or, or the blood or sin or forgiveness or, or the church or heaven or hell. You're just asking, the, asking a very obvious question. Do you believe in the afterlife? And, and what's the question going to be? And then after you talk a minute, you, you ask this question. You say, wouldn't you like to be sure about that? Wouldn't you like to, be, wouldn't you like to see what your Bible says about that? And you could even show them a man who was very sure. We were talking about the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me that crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, not to me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. And that's a man who is sure. Then all you got to do then, there is just trace it out. Just show him, you know, Paul the Apostle wasn't always Paul the Apostle. He was Saul and he was persecuting the church and, and, and the Lord appeared unto him. And you can read about this in so many places like, like Acts 22. Acts 22 lays it out for us. You know, the Lord appears to, to Paul and there's a great light and he's blinded by the light. It's about, it's about midday. And once, uh, once Saul uh, sees the Lord, he says, first of all, two questions. He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. That's who it is. And then Paul thought about it for a minute. He said, second question, what would you have me to do, Lord? The Lord said, go on into the city. Somebody will be telling you what you must do. And the Lord was preparing Ananias to get ready. Okay, Ananias was a little bit hesitant. We can't blame him, but he's going to go to him. He's going to eventually say, Acts 22 and verse 16, Why do you tarry, Saul? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And from that point on, Paul served faithfully and diligently. That's why he could say, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. That crown of life is waiting on me. See, there's the afterlife uh, concept. Concept number five is the, the hands-on concept. 
hands on. Hands on. What is that in your hand? The Lord asked Moses, you know, way back in Exodus 4. What is that in your hand? We've we got to have things in our hand. Okay. We've got to have things in our hand. I've got a whole bunch of stuff up here that, that one can have in, in his hand. We can have, you should, you should never go anywhere. Okay. You, if, you, if you think about life at all, you should never go, you, you know, I know some of you, I know, I'm not stupid. Okay. Well, I am, but not that stupid. I know y'all walk by my van, you peek in there and you say, that's a mess. I know that. What do you think? But I've got stuff. I can't stand to be somewhere and somebody asks me something. I don't have my stuff. I've got stuff. What do you got? Okay. What do you got? What is it Einstein said? If a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind, what does an empty desk mean? That's what he said. Have something in your hand. Have something in your hand. We've got, these were all saved from the flood. Okay. <laughs> we, we were able to save these. We've got, we got hundreds of these. These little voice of truth, little booklets here. Incredible information. Your, your favorite guy, Kyle Butt, he's got articles in here all the time. All the time. Other great writers. Other great writers. Okay. You can have one of these. I've got a whole, I've got a whole bucket of these with me tonight. You can have one of these. And you can be ready. You can be ready. Okay? And, and you say to somebody, you don't say, you wouldn't want one of these, would you? No. No. Do you have one of these? Ah, you've got to have one of these. Okay? So having something in our hand. Having something in our hand. i tell you what. I was saddened the other day passing of our brother Ray Wesley. Many of you got to know Ray. You remember where, how we met Ray? At the old building on a Wednesday night. Just a couple, two or three of us still standing around like a bunch of nuts talking. Okay. And in walks Ray. He didn't make it to church. But in walks Ray. He's holding this, he's holding this in his hand, this pamphlet, this house to house. He's holding this in his hand. He just walks in like this. Just like this. And he's nervous. And he comes up and he, he smiles. He said, he says, is this the church that sent this out to my house? I said, yeah. yeah. I, said, I said, what's your name? He said, Ray. He said, I've been looking for this answer. I said, what answer? There was an article in there that explained the difference between the old law and the new law. He had been confused, he said, for over 30 years about how the Ten Commandments fits into religion today because he understood that the old law was nailed to the cross, but what about the Ten Commandments? And the article in there explained that, and he was so happy, and he said, I just want to come and thank you. He said, I just want to thank you. He started to walk away. I said, just a minute, Ray. You're not going anywhere. But he held, come in and held up this. Who was smart enough to send this out? Well, Ray, Ray found this. Okay. We didn't know it was going to Ray, but he found it. Here he comes walking in. He looked up. This has got to be the church. Here he is. That was about October and February of the next year he was baptized into Christ. Okay. We have something in our hand. Hands on. Hands on. 
Okay? It, it makes it much easier to bring up the subject. What's that in your hand? Maybe somebody, maybe you just come in and just shake this. Just shake it, just talk to me. What is that in your hand? Will you quit waving it? Oh, I meant to give this to you. Do something. Do something. Time is too precious. I don't really, I don't really go for this, this idea of what they call sometimes friendship evangelism where, you, where you've got to get to know somebody for 10, 12, 13 years and maybe by then you'll, you'll, you'll get to know each other so very well that you'll just, the gospel will just come up in a normal conversation. Never happens. Never happens. And we don't have that kind of time. Okay? We don't have the kind of time. Time is too precious. Okay? You can get to know one another in two or three, four or five minutes, but then have something in your hand. Give them something to think about. Perhaps they'll, perhaps they'll throw it away. Perhaps they won't. The hands-on concept. The next concept, real quickly, please be turning with me to Romans chapter 8. This is what I call the, the inside-out concept. Won't, won't, won't stay here long, but please read this with me. Romans 8, beginning of verse 4. This is the inside-out concept. In other words, this answers the question, why don't we share our faith? Yeah, this, this answers that, this, that question in, in one little passage. Okay. So here we go. Paul had just been describing the new life in Christ, and, and so uh, a person who is in Christ now, notice at the end of verse 4, this person will walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is why, guys. This is why. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Stop and dwell on that for a second. If we just keep our mind on this, this world, doing what everybody else does, then that means death. That means certain spiritual death for so many people and probably our, only, our own demise as well. But if we set our mind on the Spirit, then you've got life and peace. If we're involved in things of the Spirit, that means life and peace. And that's verse number six. Verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I'm not going to do that. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the inside out. If we are convicted within, walking according to the spirit, our mind is on the spirit, not the flesh, then, then we, will want to, we will seek to do more. For God. Now, it used to be that the greatest combination ever is the Oreo cookie and milk. And that's been replaced by peanut butter and cracker and coffee. Okay. All right. That's a well-known fact. Oreo and milk used to be it. Now it's peanut butter, peanut butter cracker sandwich and coffee on the side. Greatest combination ever. Okay. What makes that great? All right. What's inside? What, what's inside that Oreo cookie that... That fluffy white stuff is what, you know, if you didn't have that white, fluffy white stuff, it would just be wafers. Okay. What makes the crackers, crackers are not good on their own, but the peanut butter inside the cracker. With that, that hot cup of coffee, you know, it's hard to beat. It's just, it's just impossible to beat. But it's what's on the inside that counts. You see, if our mind, Romans 8, if our mind is on the spirit, 
our mind on the things of the Spirit in the Word of God, then that brings life and peace. And then just this little concept, I'll just call this last concept the, uh, the amen concept. The amen concept. Just because it's the last one doesn't mean it's, it's uh, less valuable. In fact, it may be very valuable. One of the last prayers of the entire Bible, Revelation 22, is uh, even so come Lord Jesus. But that's not the very last prayer of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 21, the very last prayer of the Bible is, may the grace of our Lord be with you all. Amen. The last word of the Bible is amen. So let it be. May it be so. Let's grab this truth and follow it. Let's say amen to it. Let's proclaim it. Let's find something good and let's talk about it. The amen principle. It kind of goes back to the teamwork idea. When there is a, an amen, say, in a church service, then that carries the ideal to everyone who may be listening in, who, who may just be sitting around. That carries the ideal that, hey, this guy just proclaimed the truth, and there are others saying this is the truth also. The amen concept. We must get back to more of a, a team work. None of us, none of us live to ourselves, Romans 14 7. We don't live to ourselves, we don't die to ourselves. We need each other. And we need this amen. This amen. I would encourage, just as a personal opinion, okay, that uh, well, it's it's the way it was. I wish everybody could, have, could grow up the way I grew up. I grew up in those little small churches in Walker County. But any time uh, that was the end of the service, it did, you didn't have to wait to the end of the service. Everybody would just, somebody would chime in and say, hey, that's a good point. That's a good point. Hey, we need to follow that. Or sometimes there would just be a robust amen. But everybody in that building understood that everybody in that building was for the truth. No matter who was up proclaiming it, everybody knew, everybody walked out knowing that that was the truth and everybody in this building is for that truth and everybody in this building was aiming to go out and live that truth together. And I just think we need to get back to some amens. Not just verbal amens, but just... Just like, you know, can you find something good in a song and talk about it? Then do it. Can you find something good in a Bible lesson? Then, then get it out and, 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 and recognize it, point it out, and live it and tell somebody about it. That's all I'm saying. Well, just a few concepts, and you could come up with a lot more and a lot better, but I just had these on my mind and got them out and, and got them out uh, to you. And um, I'm thankful to be here and worship with you. Now, let's stop and contemplate Romans 8 for a second. Am I minding, and this is just a question from between me and God, and you'll have, you have to look at God yourself, but for me, I have to look at God and say, am I minding the things of the flesh, 
or the things of the Spirit. It's not a 50-50 proposition. It's not a 60-40 proposition. God wants all of us. What about it? It's a great chapter there in Romans 8. And it's a great verse for us to stop and consider stop and consider where we're at uh, with our Lord. Will you come? Will you come this evening? Will you make a redetermination to share uh, the faith of the gospel uh, in a more diligent way? We encourage as you come right now as we stand together as we sing.